This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hey, traders, this is Eddie Horn from Top Step, and this is Limit Up. This is where we talk with traders, market participants, and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading. Today, we have our co-host of the Market Forecast, and former U.S. Marine, Danny Hodgman. Danny, how you doing? Eddie, I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. You know, Danny, uh, in this podcast, we highlight a self-made millionaire, Daniel Amadouri. Now, he's the co-founder of Futures Money Trends and a featured guest on Wall Street Journal and the ABC World News. Sounds fantastic. I've actually heard of uh, Future Money Trends before, so I'm really looking forward to this. You know what's... Uh, one of the big things is that his YouTube has over 10 million video views, and that is a lot. You know, we hit many topics with Daniel on this interview, and I felt one of our most informative interviews was this one where we've had on Limit Up, where it does cover a larger area in the financial world. I mean, he talked about a lot of things, and if you listen to it, a lot of it's family-based, which I think is awesome. Yeah, from what you told me here, it sounds like Daniel talks a lot about the average person's questions on becoming financially sound, and I definitely think touching on that family, that's the reason we do this. It's the most important thing, so I'm really looking forward to hearing this. Cool, cool. You know, Dan, you know, I felt this interview was very important. You know, he covered a lot for the topic of the financial future, which some of us sort of run into a wall when we talk about it. And he explained it a little bit. He gave us some options, some direction, which I thought was very informative. That's awesome. I think all of us, whether we've been in this business or not, we need some answers and we need to find a lot of these answers for direction for our own futures. Totally agree. All right. Let's get busy here and bring Daniel Amaduri on for our next Limit Up interview. Daniel Amaduri is a co-founder of the Futures Money Trends newsletter, an authority for financial freedom and economic research in commodities, cryptocurrencies, personal finance, and income ideas. A self-made multimillionaire, Amaduri also has a YouTube channel, Futures Money Trends, that has received 10 million video views. He's also been featured in the Wall Street Journal and ABC World News. Would you please welcome Daniel Amadouri? Daniel, very nice to have you here with us today. Thanks for having me on the show, Eddie. One of the things here, I was you know, reading the bio, self-made multi-millionaire. Multi, I think I forgot to say that in the bio. Multi-millionaire. You got to give a person a lot of credit when you see them actually putting in the work. Uh, striving for success, um, uh, learning from failures, gaining from victories. And uh, if you could give us a little insight on how that happened, where did you start your financial journey? And um, what's your story? You know, I, I started my financial journey twice. So once when I was a young, you know, boy, I mean, my my mom will tell you stories when I was five years old, getting in trouble at school for doing entrepreneurial things. Hmm. Um, bought my first business when I was 16, bought my first stock at 17, bought my first rental property at 18. I was just hungry and I loved it and I loved everything about it. I never wanted money for materialism. I just loved it. It was like a video game to me. And that was my first go around. And uh, of course, I made all the mistakes a stock investor would make. Probably have even more to go, right? But I, I made a lot so far. Um, you know, at 18 years old, buying, you know, tech stocks in, in 2000, buying pets.com and all these things. And, um, 
can't think of the other one. Priceline, basically, with the, all at their highs back in the day in 2000. That's how I started trading stocks and started investing in, in stock market. And then, of course, uh, fast forward to 2008, kind of had a whole reset in my life to the point where I really thought that getting rich was not going to happen for me. And um, with my wife and I's focus, we uh, kind of in 2009 decided, you know what, let's, let's just not be poor. Let's do something to never be poor. And that journey led to us becoming very wealthy, financially and spiritually, though. Financially and spiritually. I love the way you put that. I have not heard that before. Um, I like the attitude. Let's do something where we're not going to be poor anymore. I, I think your approach is something different from how other people look at being successful. I need to be successful. I like the way you sort of put that. And I think we should all take a little of that and uh, try to approach what you're doing as a, uh, a lifestyle for some of us that want that goal. Now, investing or trading, uh, you said you did it at a young age. You bought mm -hmm. some stocks at the highs. Investing and trading in anything before you know where you're starting from. How do we answer the question, where am I currently? How do I know what I can invest in, how I can invest in, or should I even think about it? I think that's a great point uh, because if you're a professional trader, your position is your default position is cash, and then you wait for the right investment to come along. If you're an average investor, you're usually all, all invested and have no cash. Um, and that's kind of the difference between like the average person, which has obviously been conditioned to like always keep your money, don't miss out, blah, blah, blah. But I think really, you know, if you're interested in trading in the stock market or investing or speculating in the stock market, you certainly want to start off with a few core things in regards to your own education, like listening to shows like this, like scrolling through YouTube, uh, reading some of the books um, like Security Analysis or... Um, I can't think of their other and the other investment one that Graham and Dodd wrote. It's much easier to read, but um, starting to read some investment books and then kind of testing the waters there. But I think people really need to have the right mindset of where they currently are and what their what their goal is. You know, if your goal is to have a you know a, a nice compounded uh, investment over thirty years, then you should get really good at studying blue chip stocks or a certain sector. But if your goal is to trade either technical with using technical analysis or some people are trend traders or momentum traders, you know, if that's what you're interested in, I think you should study it and know that one thing. Um, certainly, because I think a lot of people, what happens is they get, they mix, they mix different trading techniques and then they end up losing money. You know, they love the idea of compounding. So they want to buy Disney, but they love the idea of selling a call option or day trading a stock. And maybe Disney's not the best stock to day trade, but it's a great stock to hold for 30 years and vice versa. You know, I know a lot of people who invest in the resource stocks. They love resource stocks because they're so volatile. These things will go up 50% and they'll go down 50%. But if you know what you're doing, you can actually make a little money. Um, but of course, if somebody takes their compounding mentality and applies it to a junior resource stock, they're going to lose all their money. So it's really kind of you have to decide what type of risk tolerance can you tolerate because ultimately, that's going to determine what kind of trader or investor you're going to be. See, now there, that's key right there. Because the thing is, a lot of us that do uh, invest or want to learn how to trade, it's an open book. I'm not even sure what chapter to start on. I don't even know where to look. Uh, you know, you go online and there are just so many advertisements and, you know, so much smoke and mirrors about buy this stock. This stock's going to take off. Watch this. This, that. And you're, you're pulled like taffy each different direction. 
And it's very confusing for the, the average worker, you know, the person that's making like 20,000 to 50,000 a year. Uh, you know, can I invest? Can I attempt to trade? Let me ask you the question. Can the average worker making between 20 and 50,000 a year become wealthier through the markets? I do believe that only because I have experienced it myself. Um, now, can they become puff daddy hundred millionaires overnight? That's very <laughs> unlikely. Now, those type of stories, though, you're always going to see on the front cover of Forbes or uh, Yahoo Finance. You're going to always see those anomalies, and that's kind of that luster that keeps people coming back. Um, but you know, the average person absolutely can make money. You can make money either trading. You can make money partnering with let's say a site uh, where there's uh, some guided mentorship, or if you're like, you know what, Dan, I just love doing what I do. I, you know, I'm, I'm an attorney or I, I teach surfing classes, whatever it is. And you're just like, I don't even care about this. I just, but I do want to make a little money in the market. Hey, there's nothing wrong with owning the S and P 500. Um, it is, a, it is an average return. You're not going to get better than the market, but you're also not going to do worse. There's clearly an upside bias because they're always constantly taking these stocks out and putting the the better ones in. Right. I think there's only like 80 or so companies left from the original 500. So you know that that might be where the average guy makes money. Just but, but you know if if somebody wants to day trade it or if somebody wants to speculate, they absolutely can. But it's really going to require discipline because uh, if you're a trader, you need to be disciplined in cutting. Um, your losses and keeping those losses small. If you're a speculator, which I'm probably more on the side of speculating in, in new, newer like venture capitalism businesses, new IPOs, if you're a speculator like me, you have to have the stomach and the mentality to know that there is a high likelihood that your investment is going to go down 50%. Now, if you can handle that, great. But if you can't, that is not where you're going to make money because what typically happens when stocks go down, people lock losses in. And that is where the average guy can get burned. See, there's that's key right there because being the average Ed uh, and not knowing actually where to turn or information, is this true information? Is this good information? Um, you know, what's the track record uh, from this company? It, there's a lot of questions you got to ask yourself. One of the biggest questions when I started was, you know, you hear so many big names and, you know, I remember looking at Netflix, I think when it was around $30, $40 and going, boy, uh, that's expensive. But now you look at it and if, if I had flamingo legs, I'd be kicking myself in the ass. Uh, but the thing is, how do we know what kind of stocks to invest in? That's a great question. Uh, it's a difficult answer, of course, because, you know, some people might be interested in um, in blue chip stocks or some people might feel more comfortable with a penny stock. But uh, the very basics, as you know, it's, it's just like when all of us start, we, we think a hundred dollar stock is too expensive. We think a dollar stock is is cheap. But in reality, knowing market capitalization and, and what the earnings of a company is, a dollar stock could be extremely expensive. And you know, I'll just use Disney again, Disney, because it's around that right now, but at a hundred bucks is not expensive at all. It's actually kind of cheap. So, um, you know, that is like the mindset right there, just understanding what a stock is. And I would just encourage everybody just to really, you know, I know we all get, we all love trading them. We all love clicking a mouse and just being in and out of them. But let's not forget when you buy a stock, you own a fractional share of a real operating business. So now, if you're attracted to owning a real operating business and you want to hold for long term, that's going to totally change the kind of stocks you own. But if you're a type of person that says, look, I like watching the news, 
I like uh, having a discipline and a trade. I like watching the charts. I understand resistance. I understand uh, why people are buying at these levels, uh, cyclicality. If that stuff is something that excites you, you might want to be a day trader. Uh, so it's going to determine what kind of stocks to invest in. So there could be people on this show that I would say the best stocks for you to buy are the Dow 30. And there are other people probably listening to this show. Or I would say, you know what, you might want to check out the junior resource market because you have a high risk tolerance and you're you're trying to swing for the fences. Right. That's one thing, too, in day trading where, you know, you see the excitement of a trader trying to swing for the fences. And, you know, it, it's only going to end up uh, in a, a negative day. You know, we, we talk about traders going for the base hits, build the foundation, build your confidence. I mean, there's a, there's a huge formula in being an investor and a trader and being successful. Now, what do traders and investors need to focus on most with these forever changing markets? We are seeing some market movement that we have not seen in, in decades. We have not seen uh, in a very long time. And a lot of these economic calendar moves, they're, they're referring back to the 70s and the, and the 60s. And uh, we haven't seen this back then. What can we do to focus most on these markets? Look, when it comes to trading specifically, what, what can investors focus on? I would say it's your own discipline and your own strategy because the markets are forever changing. That will never not be true. You know, whether it was people investing in the 30s or the 50s or the 70s or the 90s, everyone's going to always be in the same situation. Earth, humanity, civilization is at an unprecedented age today. Um, it's never gone this far. It's never done this, you know, so it's always a causal thing. And, and, and a lot, and of course the market makers, the movers are, are either trying to scare you into stocks or scare you out of stocks or, or get the greed in you, uh, riled up. So it's, it's going to constantly be these economic numbers. And, you know, I would say the, the best thing you can focus on is yourself and your, and what you're doing and do everything you can to ignore the markets. Even Warren Buffett talks about the, sure, he follows the news. Who doesn't, right? You know, I'm not going to buy stocks if, if, you know, the next Fukushima is happening on, on San Diego coastline. But at the same point in time, the daily news of, of what Trump's doing, you know, oh, Trump brushed his teeth, stocks are up, stocks are down. You know, it's like do everything you can just ignore all that noise because uh, I have lost a lot of money trying to time the news or invest with the news. Typically, the news is already baked in. That's why the market is the market. So try to focus on if you're a technical trader, focus on your technical trading. Focus on your stop losses, limiting losses. Focus on making sure you have, you make sure you lock in profits, selling stock. You know, a lot of people forget you got to sell stock to make money. So focus on what you're doing. And I would say as much as you can, ignore the markets. And I can tell you that myself, I rarely know what the Dow Jones is doing on any given day. I rarely know what gold or oil is. I have no idea what oil is right now, but I'm invested in all these markets, but I have a very specific plan that I stick with and I'm not really overly concerned. Now, if, if BP had a major oil spill, that's going to obviously – now my oil stock is going to have my full attention. I need to see what I need to cut, what I need to sell, what I need to adjust. Uh, or maybe there's an opportunity because they've all crashed. But um, you know, I would say just focus on what you're doing because if you allow the market to determine what you're doing – you're going to go crazy and you're going to lose money nonstop. See, that's one of the things, too, is a lot of traders like to avoid watching the news. Now, being the broadcaster, being the podcaster, uh, we've got our Facebook community. I'm always trying to keep people up with any breaking news, anything that hits the wire. Not to say that, hey, you know, 
markets are going to be moving. They might have already moved. And, you know, uh, the big question is, well, you know, why did crude rally? All right. Uh, why did the S&Ps break? You know, people need answers on that, not necessarily to trade from it, but I think to sort of uh, fill in the blanks where, you know, I I got stopped out. Uh, I'm down $200. Why? Uh, one of the things. Another thing is is mentioning the focus, the focus on these markets and uh, the news, relaying each other. Sometimes the markets go completely the opposite. So I, I've got to agree with, uh, you know, how you say that uh, whatever comes out on the news, so be it. I'm focusing on other things. I'm focusing on my technicals. I need to, uh, to, to watch myself as a trader, as an investor. So it's, it's good advice. Great advice, I should say. Now, let me go direct to you, Daniel, and ask you about trends, stock market trends right now. What are the top three trends in the stock market right now? Well, it, you know, in the markets that I follow, I'm very focused on the cannabis sector um, and the alternative drinks. So, I mean, that's totally like separate from like the stock market in general. Right. As far as the trends in the stock market, you know, it's interesting because you're you're seeing the volume is is relatively was low during this entire bull market, and it's it's fascinating to watch it now because believe it or not, the mom and pop shop the smaller investor has still not come in in a big way. Now, they certainly did switch over after the 2016 election. A lot more people came in, which is great. And we saw you know, the market kind of exhale after they had like two years of a holding period. But I, for me, in my opinion, just looking at the stock market and just I, I, I speak to a lot of different people uh, who are, are heavily invested in like hedge fund managers. And uh, the trend looks pretty good for 2019. I would say there's definitely, you know, just based on the fact that we had a negative uh, year last year, just the odds are in your favor that you're going to have a positive year in the stock market this year. But I mean, I'm a big bull on the Dow Jones right now. And uh, I really think that it's going to see a lot higher highs, 30,000, maybe even 40,000. And not necessarily because of the fundamentals, but a lot of it has to do with inflation. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of money printing has been done over the years with quantitative easing. The world, a third of the world still has negative interest rates. Um, so I think there's a lot of inflation out there. And if you have a currency, and forget about being the average guy, if you're a central bank, like the Norwegian Central Bank or the Swiss Central Bank or, or a Chinese uh, sovereign wealth fund, do you want worthless paper or do you want to own a piece of Google and Facebook? And I think the money is going to continue to flood into the U.S. stock market. And if things get worse globally, which it looks like there might be a potential of a global re- or a, a recession outside the United States, it, that's just going to cause more money to come to the United States because then the United States becomes a safe haven. So I think the biggest trend right now in the market is that there, there appears to be a pretty significant buying opportunity for those longer-term investors. For traders, I don't know if it's going to go up or down next week. But for the, the overall trend, I think, I think the Dow and, and these companies are relatively good spots because relative to what's going on around us and the rest of the world, uh, the U.S. Is, is booming. One of the things booming, you mentioned uh, right when I asked you the question about pot stocks. You know, this is something where obviously we're seeing it become a legal product in the United States, which, you know, five years ago was like, yeah, dream on. But now that we're seeing it and a, a lot of the states that have legalized it are seeing a boom in product. They're seeing a boom in uh, incoming money for the state. They tax the hell out of it. 
I mean, this is it's almost like you're you're seeing a dam break and it's like there's just so many leaks. It's going to break any moment. Obviously, you've put some money into it. Where do you think we're going to be? Look, this is the end of a prohibition. I, I'm curious to know if I'll ever get to see this again in my the, for the rest of my life. Will this right. be the one time? This is an end of a prohibition. I, I couldn't be happier to be invested in this space. It's very messy. Not a lot of people are making money, and I'm not talking about stock, the stock market, the actual businesses. The uh, the joke right now going around in the space is that the just the law firms and the attorneys are making money because the regulations are new, the politicians are creating new laws, the city permits, and all these different things that are causing these companies uh, to have issues, and then they and then they can't export or import. So you actually have some areas where there's a shortage of cannabis, like in uh, Northern Ontario and Canada. Uh, and then you have other areas where there's a surplus of cannabis, like California, or the California black market is actually thriving because there's a 30% tax on their cannabis. So everybody's actually said, screw the dispensaries. We're just going to go about buying it the way we were, only this time we're not going to get in trouble. Right. So um, I'm very bullish on the cannabis sector. It's very messy. I think you need to be very cautious. This isn't one of those sectors that um, you want to just throw money at or, or take a recommendation from something, you know, on a, you see on a blog, you know, this is like, you know, maybe three to five companies, you know, ha- own them and, and, and let this play out because uh, this is one of the, the best trends I've ever seen. Some of the companies I'm invested in are only focused on international uh, cannabis assets. Some are focused only on California or Canada. And um, you just have to be very specific because we don't know. Somebody is going to come out of this being the Google and the Coca-Cola of cannabis. Right. I hope it's one of mine. Of course, we're all going to dream that, but we don't know. Um, I know one of the companies that I'm invested in, Plus Products, um, full disclosure, I own it. I was one of the seed investors in it. And it became the number one cannabis uh, edible company in California. Now, when I invested in that, I could run around and tell you how great I am. But, dude, it was. I mean, I, did, I must have financed probably a dozen it was a total crapshoot. I got lucky. So, I mean, but that's, that's this market right now. This market is very, there, there is no precedent for the cannabis stocks or trends or cyclicality. Honestly, right now, it's just, it's about these laws being uh, decriminalized. And as decriminalizing uh, continues across the world, it's not just this happening in the United States, it's happening all over from Colombia to the Netherlands to, to, to Greece and Italy to Australia, this is happening everywhere. As it continues to decriminalize, the opportunities continue to open up. And imagine once the federal laws uh, get repealed here, then states are going to be able to, California's going to be an exporter of cannabis all across this country and maybe even across the world. So is that what we should be looking for is uh, looking into the future and saying, how can this develop? Or should we start sort of stacking away some some money here and there to buy these penny stocks yeah you know look i mean if you're looking there are the big companies like canopy growth uh, those are companies that are much bigger much more established or tilt holding they have they have billion dollar market caps um those are companies you could actually trade off you could apply your technical fundamental analysis um but uh for the other ones yeah i mean you're you're totally speculating so it's really you have to find the right people who are managing them and ideally, I mean, one of my rules is the if I buy a penny stock, whoever's running that company, they absolutely have to be, this has to be their second go around. I never speculate on people. Um, I don't like to, it's too risky. You're already risking money in, in a penny mm-hmm. stock. Don't risk it on the guy who was a, you know, he was an accountant and now he wants to run a gold company. Uh, I like to find the person who had a nice clean exit. They've made a billion dollars or hundreds of millions 
and they're on their second go around. Because one thing I've learned, especially in penny stocks, is they're all capital intensive. They, they're constantly raising money. It never ends. They're always raising money. And if you're a guy who's made people money, when you go ask for checks, you're going to get more checks. But if you're that new guy and you, you know you, you, this is your first go around, it is harder than hell to make to raise money, and that will absolutely kill a new company. How do you find the information that it's the second go around, or that this uh, this person behind this company has been successful? Where do you get that information? So, I mean, I'd, I'd be dumb not to mention futuremoneytrends.com, the investments we profile, sure. of course. Um, but you know, outside of that. I think what you try to do is you you uh, simply you could go to a conference and find these these people you know because usually they're the keynote speakers right like let's say for example in uh, in the gold space uh, there's a guy named Ross Beatty he created a company most people might even be familiar with Silver Standard as well as Pan American Silver so those are two big companies two big successful companies and then he went on to he started other companies I don't even know which I'm not invested in any of his companies right now but you know it's that type of person where you find that, okay, that's, that's their bio. Or let's say you're on the website and looking at a gold stock or a blockchain stock or something, and you look to see, okay, let's see, let's see I'm looking at this blockchain company, and um, the guy who runs it, you know, he recently sold his telecommunications company for $800 million, <laughs> which there's literally one like that. And, um, okay, so now, now I've got a real deal guy, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's the most important thing because for the most part, I think everybody should just be aware that these penny stocks, I would say 99% of them, nothing ever happens to them. They either go broke or you can't make any money anyway because there's no liquidity in the stock itself. Duly noting that, that's for sure. Let's go back on track. Uh, stocks and bonds. You know, it, it, the word safe when you're investing, the word safe when you're trading is is just a it's such a distant word to use because safety and investing, it's far to none. And likewise with trading. But let me ask you, what would be the safer bet? Would you look at stocks or would you look at bonds? And, and Dan, can you tell me why? When it comes to safety, a lot of people think volatility makes something riskier. Volatility makes it unsafe. Volatility is just volatility. Stock goes up, stock goes down, bonds go up, bonds go down. But when it comes to bonds, if you if you buy a 10-year bond and you wait 10 years, you will get all your money back and you will get your, your interest. Uh, now, between those 10 years, that bond is going to be volatile. It doesn't make it any less safe, especially if you're loaning money to ExxonMobil or somebody. Um, now, uh, when it comes to the stocks, they are volatile. They can have much wilder swings. But in my opinion, I just would prefer, and the way you phrase the question, safer bet, I would rather put my money in a stock uh, because then you have earnings potential. You know, if I buy um, an Apple bond, okay, I'll get my 2%, and they're definitely not going to default. But if I buy Apple itself, now I have upside potential that the sky is the limit. Sure, there's volatility, just like the bond, but there's there's a lot more upside potential in the fact that the company could come out with a new product or a new service or just continue to cash in on their current products and services. So for me personally, I just prefer to be part of an operating business mm -hmm. uh, where I can make money or if I'm going to trade something, stocks, for me, they're, they're much more understandable for me to trade. The bond market, I'm a little bit ignorant of in, in the sense of I've never, tr I've never day traded a bond. Now, Daniel, as being in the financial business for thirty plus years, you know I've I've seen uh, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. I've seen markets crash. Um, I've seen markets rally. One of the things that I thought 
as far as being an investment, Facebook, you got to ask yourself, you know, they don't have a product, you know, so what are you investing in? But obviously with my Netflix and my Facebook, those were two, uh, I can say recent stocks that have made some decent moves. Let's move over back to the equities. Now, one of the things I did a little research on future money trends and something that, uh, According to your research, the S&P 500, all right, the S&P 500 never enjoyed at any point during its history uh, 10 years of positive return, but there has been nine. Nine has been the most. Now, Daniel, what's the main reason stocks have been heading up for years with recent turn of events? Should investors begin to liquidate? What should they be doing? It depends what your strategy is and what your time frame is, of course. But you know, look, let's go back. Let's go to the first part of the question. Why? Why? In my, in, you know, in my opinion, uh, there there have been a lot of things that have been helping prop up the market. First of all, free money. I mean, we will look back at in twenty years from now, and we will we will be shocked at how low our interest rates are. I mean, thirty years ago, interest rates were fifteen, sixteen percent. I mean, we are paying almost nothing when we get. People are still getting mortgages in the three percent range, for low four percent range for a home. Um, you know, look, if you borrow money at two and three percent, it's not exactly difficult to actually uh, make money on that spread on the arbitrage. So, you know, I think the markets have been going up because there's a ton of cheap money floating around the system. Uh, it had a huge crash in 2008, so there's obviously an upward bias of actually, uh, you know, a healing of the market and and a, and a rally. And I think the between share buybacks, which companies are doing, right? You know, you borrow money at one or two percent, buying your own shares and making money. So um, I think the the market has been mostly up on things that are not tied to the economy. Um, however, I think the economy is actually improving over the last three or four years here. And you might have a, a much longer bull run than anybody could have ever expected. What do you think is behind that improvement? Doesn't have to be a pinpoint answer. Well, I think it's probably helping um, that the uh, optimism in the country, uh, specifically with businesses, is is at unprecedented levels. I think you, you were talking in the, earlier in the show that some things are happening not since the 70s or they're unprecedented. We're seeing a lot of that. Um, I just saw today where there's twice as many openings for jobs and there are people unemployed. That's fairly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and But the business optimism, the small index uh, business optimism, these are either at all-time highs or they're like at 30, 40-year highs or the highest they've ever since they've started recording. And I think that has a lot to do with it. The Federal Reserve talks about a wealth effect. You know, if, if people's 401ks are up, if their home equity is up, they'll spend more money. Well, imagine a business business optimism, the business wealth effect. Businesses are hiring. Businesses are spending more on capital-intensive projects. Businesses are investing, reinvesting into their businesses. And, of course, this is spreading out through all the economy. And this has a lot to do with the rolling back of a lot of regulations. Uh, it has to do with uh, the tax cuts, as well as just there's an, a very optimistic spirit that's hit this country in the last few years. And I don't want to point towards politics at all. Because I really don't know what it is. You, you know, you could point to maybe maybe it's because that election that we all had to go through is finally over. And people are like, fine, thank God. We didn't care who won. Just thank God it's over. It's behind us. We don't have to see that. Of course, right. now we got another one coming. But, <laughs> yep, yep. but you know, I don't know. I, you know it's, it's interesting. Um, but for sure, I think uh, the optimism of the consumer and the optimism of the businesses is what's what's helping us the most. You know, I'm also on that train of change. 
things, there's a lot of things that are changing. And, you know, being on the trading floor, uh, there was a time where, you know, people would ask you what you do. You know, I, I work on the trading floor. I work at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I work at the Chicago Board of Trade. I, and it was sort of like, oh, um, you know, what do you do? Things are changing now. Electronic trading. Uh, you know, now we've got phone apps where we can trade stocks where you're, you know, you're at a movie waiting an intermission or you're, 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 you're at a burger joint where you can, you can, uh, you can trade, you can do something. You can be that stay at home dad. You could be that soccer mom and have a trading account. You could trade the stocks. You could trade the futures. This is something that has changed and there's a lot of interest and uh, just being here at Top Step Trader, I myself meet a lot of those stay-at-home dads or somebody that gets up a few hours before they do the nine to five to do some trades uh, or the the soccer mom where she's at home and, you know, she's keeping the family together and she'll log on and you know, she'll, she'll trade the yen or maybe put on a few crude trades and, and so forth. Let me ask you, Dan, I really like the answers that you're putting on the table for us. It's definitely a benefit to hear from somebody like you that has and is successful. Let me ask you about futures and commodities. Now, these markets, there's always something changing. Now, one of the fashionable markets in energy has been crude. Crude's been sort of all over the place. That's been my number one focus is, is, is trying to trade on a daily timetable is watching the crude. Crude's been my number one. How about the futures and commodity markets? Do you have any idea what we should be watching this year? You know, I, I got lucky that I bought a lot of palladium and started investing in palladium about three, four years ago. Uh, this was a long-term trade. Um, mm -hmm. Sold all of it about two months ago. Like it, it was at like eleven thirty, I think, or eleven twenty-four when I sold it. I think it's gosh, it's almost like fourteen hundred bucks now. So I sold early, but I still made. I think I made about fifty-five percent on my money. So um, I have been looking at the commodities, and you know, a, a lot of times when you find commodity traders, they tend to find one or two commodities that they just stick with, and that can be a prudent thing because these are very cyclical investments. So whether you're focused on gold. Or oil, or uh, you know, even I know people. I know a guy who trades um, uranium stocks uh, through the uh, their ETF. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you know, whatever commodity interests you. But for me, right now, honestly, I've always been attracted to the metals, and um, that's something I understand. It's something simple. And uh, I, when I sold my palladium, I actually took a. I switched the position. I took a large position in silver, um, and just. One of the things I'm excited about silver is uh, it's it's a heavily consumed commodity. Uh, it's essentially in everything from our phones to our computers, but it's in solar panels. And in 2007, the use of silver in solar panels wasn't even measured in the annual report of where the silver supply goes. Uh, today, it's it's roughly I want to say about 20 percent. And California just passed a law that by January 1st, 2020, which is 11 months from now. Every single new home will have to have solar panels. Uh, so I think the demand for silver and a lot of these other metals and commodities is only going to go up. And uh, one thing that excites me, uh, just lastly about silver, is the supply is in decline. And because the resource stocks have been in a bear market since 2011, the supply pipeline is horrendous, uh, meaning 
There's nobody spending any money to, to make any discoveries, so there haven't been any made. Uh, there are only about two or three primary silver producers. You know, there, you know, I know there's companies called like Pan American Silver. That's who people buy silver stock, but less than 50% of their revenues come from silver. Uh, there's a company called Silver Standard. Um, I think they changed their name to SDDRI or something. But anyway, they actually, they used to be a silver producer. 15% of their revenues in the last year came from silver. There's only, there's only one or two outside of like First Majestic Silver and Endeavor Silver. There's really not that many pure silver producers. So the, the interesting thing about the silver markets is there's not a lot of supply. There's virtually no supply coming. There's no, nobody's, nobody's looking for the metal. Um, and so there could be a cliff dive in supply. Which, as a speculator, because remember, I'm not day trading silver. I'm not buying call options. I'm not. I'm not even buying the futures market. Uh, I might buy the you know the SLV ETF, and I'm I'm simply buying it because I believe over the next year, which that's my time frame. Uh, some people listening to the show, their their time frame might be 30 minutes. So this is not this is not a trade for you. But I am speculating that there is going to be a cliff dive in supply. And demand continues to surge higher. It's only had one blimp of where demand actually went down, and that was 2008. Otherwise, it's just been a progressive move higher in demand. Right. Now, the way you look at it, see, now you mentioned, uh, you know, silver. They're, they're used in a lot of solar panels. Um, California, it's going to be a must for solar panels. Now, see, now the thing is, things are adding up right there. If I contacted Future Money Trends and we talked, and you mentioned this, now, my initial thought would be, sure, silver, it's a good setup. Uh, you know, Daniel's got some great points behind that. But would, a, would an investor look for companies that manufacture solar panels? Or has that sort of trend uh, passed us by? Should we have gotten in earlier? With the solar panel companies, I would say with solar panel companies, it's too late. With silver producers, it's it's you're you're in, not even in the first inning. They're singing the national anthem. Um, so <laughs> okay. uh, you know, I, and I'll give you one pick. I own it. So, but I, I this is the one. Like I can tell you, like with certainty, this is something you could recommend your grandma. It's called First Majestic Silver. It is the purest silver producer on the planet. It's a billion dollar company. Trades on the New York Stock Exchange. It's not a penny stock. Uh, it's in probably every ETF that has exposure to resources. All the big hedge funds own it. All the retirement and pension funds. So this is a it's a big company. I'm not giving somebody. I'm not giving you guys a penny stock pick. Um, so first majestic silver. That's the one I would buy. That's the one I do buy. I'm, I'm regularly accumulating it, and I'm accumulating it because here's the thing: when silver went from thirteen dollars to twenty in 2016, uh, that's a decent move, right? Uh, but First Majestic went from $2.50 to $20. That's the wow. leverage of owning a huge. mining stock because you got to keep huge. in mind, not a lot of money is in this sector. So when it, when it has a little bit of a bull market, uh, you're, you're talking about you know a, a, a swimming pool trying to go through a garden hose in one minute. Um, the liquidity is just flooding into it. And of course, liquidity alone will cause a stock to go up. You know, Daniel, I'll tell you, the conversation that we've got here, it, it, I'm excited about it. And I, I'm going to bet my quarter that a lot of the listeners that are listening right now uh, are excited and wide-eyed. But the thing is, we have to realize that 
you know, life isn't, uh, you know, lollipops and sunshine. Um, there is going to be times where we hit a wall. There is going to be times where the stock that we purchase is handed to us in a black bag. Um, there is going to be times where we're just completely wrong in our investments. Many times the market wants to see me lose, Dan. And is the investing game rigged against people? And if so, what's your take? Ooh, that is a that is a tough question. So it is rigged in a certain way. So so if you're really taking this seriously and you're trying to trade, I don't think it's rigged against you. Uh, I think you can be part of the financial industry and make money in it. But yeah, it's it's hard to say. Um, you know that look for the most part, the financial industry services itself. Uh, it collects fees by promising people a retirement when really they have no idea what's going to happen in thirty years. You know, they're they're making their commissions, they're selling their products, they're charging, uh, you know, 401ks 1%, but then there's a dozen fees or whatever within the mutual fund inside the 401k. So I think it is a bit rigged against the average guy, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but now, if you're educated and you're taking this seriously and you're like, I'm going to invest in the markets, oftentimes you can use the rigging to your advantage. Um, I'll give you two examples. It is dumb, for the most part, to be a bear. And, and that is because... It is rigged to go higher. Um, if you think about it, every force on the planet that has any money wants the stock market to go higher because whether you're a government, you don't want instability, or you're the pension funds or the banks, you don't want people running away from your services. Or if you're a pension fund, you actually have to have it go higher. Otherwise, you could actually go into default and go into bankruptcy. So there are a lot of powerful forces, including the Federal Reserve, which is probably one of the most powerful organizations on the planet. That need the market to go up. S and P five hundred um, gets rid of the bad companies every year and puts more aggressive growth ones in. So you, severe upward bias is it rigged? Yeah, I'll say that's rigged, and I'm going to use that rigging to my advantage. Um, now, on the flip side, let's take something like um, like uh, precious metals, like gold. There was a guy who was was under. Uh, it was at the CFTC. I can't think of what hearing it was, but oh, Jeffrey Christensen. He said on, under oath, this is the head of the CFTC, he said that for every one ounce of physical gold, about up to 300 ounces of gold is traded. That's clearly rigging. Um, and, but that is rigging the other way. That is suppressing the price. If, you're, if you've got 300 ounces of gold to sell, even though there's only one ounce, that's really bad for the gold market. Again, sure. I'll use that to my advantage. If I wanted to trade gold or if I wanted to own gold or let's say silver, we just talked about it. The fact that it's undervalued because it's been suppressed down, people can be mad about that or people can say, you know what, I think I'll take this gift because eventually these banks are going to reverse this trade. And when the banks are ready for it to go up or, or want it to go up, it will. It absolutely will. Um, you know, and so, you know, is the market rigged? Yeah, it's rigged in many different ways, but I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let that keep you out of the market. Um, I would just acknowledge that certain things are rigged and see how can you use it to your advantage. I like to take talking about bad investments. There are many of us that have had bad investments, not necessarily the stock market, uh, but uh, maybe purchasing a car or purchasing some a tool of some sort. And, you know, two weeks later, the tool, uh, it's not working correctly or there's a there's something wrong with the car. Um, but experiencing bad investments in stocks and so forth. I think we've all had a taste of that. And one of the things is I, I've got to give you a lot of credit, Daniel, uh, that 
the fact of, you know, getting financially wiped out with a bad investment, something that happened to you, something that you've put out in front, uh, you admitted, you've learned from it, you talk about it, you share it. And uh, like I said, I got to give you a lot of credit on that. What were your thoughts about actually getting back up and trying again, which seems to be one of the hardest things to do is getting yourself up, dusting yourself off and trying at it again. You know, there are bad investments where a stock goes to zero and, you know, you've got or, or goes down 90 percent and you've got to decide whether you're going to sell it or, or hold it or buy more. And I always say to myself, if I had the money in my checking account right now, would I buy this stock again here? And if, I, if the answer is yes, then I'll do it. If the answer is no, then you know your answer. You have to sell it. You have to get that, save that money. That's for an individual stock. For what I did in my own life, I devastated my life. I actually called the collapse of uh, Lehman Brothers AIG in the housing market six months before it happened in a YouTube video that is still posted up on YouTube to this day. So nobody can deny that that was real. However, uh, my youthfulness had mistaken uh, a bull market and a bubble in real estate for brains. And I went bigger than ever in 2007 and tried to make millions of dollars and end up losing all my money. I uh, ended up having to go to a bankruptcy attorney, never filed bankruptcy, but was in a bankruptcy attorney's office in 2008 with my wife or early 2009 and had to go through that awful experience. And I'll be honest with you, I thought about not getting up for a year. I'm a person who was born and I felt like I was destined to be wealthy. And for the first time in my life, I felt like this was just not going to happen for me. I really screwed up. I had a you know half a dozen foreclosures and short sales and I owed relatives money. It was unbelievably horrible. And honestly, what helped me uh, get back up was instead of, and I can only tell you this in hindsight, but I never thought about becoming a millionaire and I never thought about becoming a DECA millionaire or anything else. I just thought about the smallest achievable thing I could do. And that was to not be poor. And that was my first step. Uh, so a lot of people, if you've wiped yourself out or you have a very big loss, don't immediately think to yourself, how do I get back to where I was? Instead, where is that first step? Because that first step is going to be followed by a second step and a third step. And eventually you will get to where you want to go. But I would say one of the things in life in general is make things easy for yourself. And that is only a lesson that I could tell you that I learned on accident. Um, you know, I, I never set out to be a millionaire the second go around from 2009 to 2012. I was just focused on what can I do to make my life more wealthy? Uh, what I mean by that is I, you know, paid off my debts and I, I started buying some, some passive income investments. I'm like, what can I do to make my life more wealthy, uh, to where I can wake up when I want? Uh, there, so I didn't think of a number now it all happened, but you know, in the end, um, I would say wherever you are, whatever stage you are in life, especially if you're coming off of a, of, off of a setback in life or a setback in an investment, just focus on what you're going to do going forward. And don't think about how you create $10 million tomorrow. Think about how you're going to make 100 bucks later today or tomorrow or by the end of the week. Traders, investors, friends, I hope you're taking notes. Um, Daniel, great stuff. Great stuff. Now, futuremoneytrends.com. That's your financial website and newsletter. Uh, now, I was among the first in the world uh, to cover Bitcoin, the mysterious uh -huh. Bitcoin, uh, when it was priced at $13 per coin. Now, 
Let me ask you first, what do you think of the future of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, which sort of has taken a backseat these past few months? Uh, And second, is there any asset class or sector which you monitor on your radar with similar growth prospects? Um, Bitcoin was one of the best investments I've ever made. Um, and there's a perfect example of that. Can the average guy make money in the market? Sure, there, these, these, these situations do come up and there are cyclical bubbles constantly rotating in and out of uh, asset classes. And uh, the future of Bitcoin, in my opinion, is very bright. And I don't base it off of Bitcoin. I base it off of all the people that are supporting the infrastructure of Bitcoin. That's actually what initially got me to buy it in the first place. I went to a Bitcoin conference. Bitcoin was like $8. And I remember walking out of that conference. There was only about 300 people at the time. Now there's 10,000 people show up at these things. And I'll never forget, I walked out of there. I'm like, I think the next Steve Jobs or Bill Gates is in that room. These were just, these were people, they didn't, they didn't care about making a penny. These people were trying to change the world. And that's what um, excited me. As far as what asset class or sector, uh, which I monitor on the radar with similar growth prospects, I would say that for the easiest, simplest one is cannabis. Um, but I would say on 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 the tech side, I would actually say uh, blockchain. Uh, I think blockchain will be implemented and the distributed ledger will be implemented in the, almost all aspects of our lives from our air conditioning units to eventually when we purchase stocks, because it simply is a very secure, safe way as the world is the world is digital, not going digital. The world is digital. Um, people are going to want more secure things. I met with a company yesterday. They're not public. But they, they did not tokenize gold. They did not make gold backed by blockchain. All they simply did was track the gold using the blockchain, the distributed ledger. And they actually made it for retail investors to feel more secure and save money when they bought gold and stored it at the Royal Canadian Mint. What happened was Gold Corp and all these large gold producers on the planet were like, holy crap, you just figured out a way we can save a ton of money. Because instead of it going from the refiner to the dealer, to the broker, to the warehouse, to the coin shop, they're like, crap, we'll put it on the distributed ledger on your blockchain and we'll just send this straight from the, we'll go from the refiner straight to the mint. And it's, it's now tracked. You don't need them. What the blockchain often does and its purpose is it removes the middleman. So I think, you know, we're probably going to be in a, in a kind of a crappy market here for at least another year or two, uh, just because of what happened in 2017 was so epic. Uh, but I'm very bullish on um, on taking positions in companies that are helping companies and helping businesses use the blockchain and implement the blockchain. And outside of IBM, there are penny stocks doing that. But again, um, you know, if you want to learn more about that, I'm happy to have you at futuremoneytrends.com. But these are investments that will have a lot of volatility. So we are leaning to a future that does look bright. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I tell you, just listening to you explain and you, you put premise behind what you're talking about, it gives me a good feeling. I'm really hoping that the future is bright. You know, I've I, I've got kids that married. To, I've got myself a grandson. And to be honest, he's on the edge of being spoiled. He's the only child, the only grandchild, I should say. So, you know, it, it gets basically everything that, uh, you know, he can ask for that's affordable, but, you know, teaching him about the future and about investing. Well, you know, being nine, when you talk about investing, I use the, the Legos, he loves Legos. So, you know, after we, I mean, sets are like a hundred plus dollars and 
You know, too, right? And, you know, I tell them, I go, you know, after you put it together, enjoy it for a while. Don't lose the pieces. Keep the uh, instructions. Don't ruin the box because we can turn that over and you can sell those and you could buy other sets. And, you know, at first he was like, wait, well, you know what? Wait a minute. And and then he realized that, you know what? Hey, this is something that I can keep going. I can you know, buy a set, sell a set, buy a set, sell a set. Now, just teaching about the value of money. Daniel, how should we go about teaching our kids about money and value? So we could have done an entire interview on this, Eddie. I am obsessed with this topic. In fact, I'm going to, I have a book coming out next month that has nothing to do with this topic, but my next book, I already told the publisher, I'm like, this is all I want to talk about. So I have a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old, okay. and we are constantly going over different things about money, including how we teach them. The kids are actually homeschooled. Uh, so I'm at home, my wife's at home, and the kids are at home with, with us. And um, the, on the kitchen table right now, and it will be there until they're out of the house, and maybe even, there's always a constant game of something called cash flow. Robert Kiyosaki created or a game of Monopoly. That's in a constant game. It's a never ending game that when one ends, we just start another one because the cash flow game and Monopoly are a great way to train the brain to think like the rich and use the rules of the rich. Um, play a game like life, and now you're teaching them the rules of the middle class, which I don't want to teach them. I want to teach them the rules of the rich. The rules of the rich are using leverage, it's buying investments. And it's using passive income to either get out of a job or using a business to get out of a job. Because 91% of people with a net worth of over $5 million have one thing in common. They own a business. So that is where I'm really focusing on teaching them about money. As far as the specific value of money, you got to have them buy a lot of their own stuff. And that is, man, the Lego one is the perfect example. You know, kids think that we can just buy Legos because we walked into Toys R Us or Walmart. And I like to I like to let them make some money at uh, doing their lemonade stands. Or sometimes there's if, if if anybody Google's there's usually entrepreneurial fairs for kids in their local area. I know because we're homeschooled, we're obviously looking for that stuff constantly. We're looking to where can we mingle and, and be with other people and kids and activities. But it's they're in all these areas, and uh, you know, bring your kid to an entrepreneurial fair. Let them make some money. Save fifty percent. Take tax them like the government. Take fifty percent and say, okay, you're not spending any of that. The other fifty percent you can spend. And then when they go to the store, they will be shocked because they'll think they're going to buy the whole toy aisle and they'll learn that they, you know, they might only be able to afford a Hot Wheel or two. And I think that's a good thing to teach them the value of money by having them buy some of their own stuff. And it's kind of cool too. Like I'll even have them like give the money to the person, take the receipt, let them understand the whole process. But one thing I have observed in, the, in each of the children is it is making them not pester me when I go into the store. Because they do realize, because I'll tell them, I'll show, I'm like, they know we're wealthy. And I'll tell them, look, um, if we want to stay wealthy, uh, we can't just be buying things every time we walk into the store. And now they get it. Now, honestly, I'll go into Target. I don't even hear anything about the toil. They might want to go look. But I think now that they've had to spend their own money many, many times, um, <laughs> you know, and I, I look forward to, you know, shoving them into a job as soon as they're old enough, uh, just to show them, if anything, just to show them. Uh, that is your, that is your alternative. If you don't want to create your own path, that's, that's what you can do. You can help somebody else create their own path. All right. Um, for those listening, this is going to be the next bestseller. What you're teaching your children, you're a great parent. If you can instill, uh, those valuable lessons at a young age to a child, it's a godsend. It's a total godsend. I got to give you props on that. I'll have to live stream for you the next time uh, Shark Tank's on because it's funny. We don't watch TV at, uh, at all. 
uh, except once a week. We watch Shark Tank. And occasionally, if we're feeling lazy, we might go on YouTube and just search Mr. Wonderful Highlights. These kids love Shark Tank. We pause every deal. We start talking about it. The kids will try to guess which shark is going to make an offer, if they're getting an offer, why this business is good and bad. What a great, what a great show, by the way. If anybody doesn't watch it, it's a phenomenal show for children. And actually, families are the number one category that watch Shark Tank. And it's a great show to let your kids understand um, how a business operates and works. And it's kind of cool because there are kids that come on the show occasionally. And that's also very inspiring because a lot of limitations are put on children from the school system Mm, that they can't do something until they are X, until they have a college degree or whatever. But here they are sitting here watching these nine-year-olds make a pitch to Mark Cuban. And like, well, crap, I guess we can do that. I guess I can create a business if I want. Now, you mentioned college. College or no college. Why did you choose not to go to college? So I, I went and took a real estate principles class, which I was really interested in, and I did that. Uh, but outside of that, I, I hated school. And I'll tell you, the whole story started when I was 16 years old. Um, I was in a home ec class. You know, it was 28 girls and two boys, so I was good in math. And um, I was sitting there listening to the teacher, and she's like, the average college graduate. Uh, now, keep in mind, this dad is really old. This is mid-90s. I'm in school. And the data was probably from the 80s. And she was like, the college graduates make uh, $35,000 a year, and the high school graduates make $25,000 a year. And I'll never forget sitting in that class going, no way. I don't want either one. I don't want to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, there's got to be another way. And um, from, then, from right there, I decided I wasn't going to go to college. And I actually, I, I actually lied to my wife and her parents and told everybody I was going to college. Because, of course, you know, in the year, imagine the year 1999-2000 when I graduated high school. Um, it was like the, it, it still is a little bit, but I think it's coming off because the millennials have been burned by it so much. Uh, but you know, back then, I mean, still the, the dogma of you have to go to school was strong and, and rightfully so, because let's be real going back to the 1970s, it was the smartest thing to do. And you could work at In-N-Out Burger or a, a pizza parlor and pay for your college tuition, come out with a, with a nice degree and get a great job. Um, you know, with that degree, that was a great thing that worked for a lot of people, uh, but it's not working anymore. And, um, you know, a lot of different reasons we could go down that rabbit hole. But what I'll tell you, what I tell my children is if they want to go to college, they're more than welcome to go. If there's a need, like they, let's say they want to be a veterinarian, of course, you got to go to college. You got to, you got to, you have to have that government license. But aside from that, I always, I always tell the kids, I was like, look, Google has every single thing the college is going to teach you is, is free. They're, seriously, these universities are selling information now that is freely available online. In fact, some universities like Harvard and Stanford, they actually have their curriculums online now. So if, you're, if you don't need the units for a specific license for the government, you can actually still get the same $100,000, $200,000 semester quarter free online right now. It is amazing what is online, and I love learning from, uh, you know, put on YouTube. And uh, even the grandson, you know, Papa, why don't you put this on? Let's learn about this. And it's a great learning tool, definitely. You know, I I think uh, at that age also, when the college passage was sort of laid in front of me, you know, I wanted to be a rock star, Daniel. I thought I was going to be the rock star in a band, you know, this is going to be it. And, you know, obviously, I'm, you know, it, it didn't pan out. You know, best thing I got is uh, getting an invite from uh, Robert Plant and had this weekend for his barbecue. But 
I'm just kidding on that. But the thing is, we have the dreams, you know, and we've got the visions. It's just a matter of, are these realistic? Can these really happen? And at that time, that's what I thought. I know on the trading floor, it was loaded with musicians. Um, you know, that was one of the best places to find some honest honest to God, real good talent. I mean, there was a lot of great musicians on the trading floor because the hours were so good. You know, you get out at two o'clock and, you know, you'd have the rest of the evening You go practice with your banner, do whatever you want. But that was one of the paths or venues that I was looking to take. And then obviously that didn't work. So, you know, what's the, what's next on the list? You know, what's next on my list for success? What's next on my list to get ahead? That was something that uh, trial and error, trial and error. Once again, brings me back uh, full circle to uh, what works, what can I understand and how can I get better? Now that was my my aha moment is when I hit that wall saying, you know, you're not going to be the rock star. But I want to ask you, Daniel, what and when was your biggest aha moment or revelation? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, we can go trading or life, but uh, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, one of the biggest revelations I've had in my own life is that bad things are not failures. Uh, bad things oftentimes lead to some of the best things in your life or best lessons in your life. It's, it's my wife and I always say when something bad happens to us, we, we look at it like this. Um, if, if we made a mistake, we'll say, well, well, the good news is we'll never make that mistake again. We really won't. It's rare to make a very large mistake twice the same way. So that's, that's good. And then often when I look back at whether it's my investments and it's like, man, if I wouldn't have lost money there, I would have never ended up learning about that specific part of the housing market, or I would have never learned about that sector, or I would have never met this person. So the biggest aha moment for me, um, and I actually have it in big writing, I'll read it to you. It's in my it's in my office. I have it right in front of me. It says, everything in life is a gift. Even the worst things have always led to the best blessings in my life. And that is one of the biggest aha moments to the point where I had a painter come in and, and paint it right in front of me. So I'm reading it right now. Beautiful. Beautiful, Daniel. Daniel, I'm so glad that we had this time together, um, sharing your ideas, uh, sharing your beliefs, giving us some great advice. And I just want to say thank you. Now, I know many of those that are listening right now want to know, how can I get in contact with Daniel? Daniel, how can we find you online? Give it to us all. Um, If you guys just go to futuremoneytrends.com, uh, I'd love to connect with you. You can subscribe to our free Weekly Wealth Digest. I'll share stories about what my wife and I did to create financial freedom. Um, and I also share the new investments that I'm in. Uh, 70% of them are out of the stock market. About 30% of them are in. And I love to speculate. I love to partner with you know venture capitalists. So um, just a good diversifier, a, a nice website to check out. I don't bother you. I don't spam you to that. I send you about two, three meals a week. Uh, but just go to futuremoneytrends.com and you can subscribe free. Awesome. Daniel, thanks again for being with us here. All the best to you and the family. Daniel Amaduri, futuremoneytrends.com. Check it out. Daniel, take care. And I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Take care. Bye-bye. And we're back. You know, Daniel had a lot of information for us in that interview. A lot. And I myself was taking notes. Yeah, definitely. 
Daniel hit a lot of important topics. I really liked how he talked about the markets. Like, they want me to continuously lose. I hear that so often. You know, he talked about that. And Danny, you talk about that. And we all talk to traders about that. You know, you have to admit, there are times when it does seem like the market knows what you're doing. It looks like there's no getting out. It looks for your stop and stops you out exactly on that tick. You know, sometimes it's crazy. It's wild. I don't know how many times like I've been there or traders I've talked to that have been in that same position where it feels like the market is hunting you out. And we need people to talk about this. We need to understand, hey, when times are tough, this is going to happen. We can't allow that to affect ourselves and our bigger picture, that broader picture that Daniel touches on. You know, Danny, he said it. It happens. It's going to happen. And if you're listening in a trader and it hasn't happened to you, um, you know what? Then you're doing something right. Let us know what you're doing. All right. <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, Daniel seems to have the same right as many of us, you know, in this business, finding it a bit hard and trying to handle it, losing control. Danny, should we be concerned about others who have hit bottom and only look to recover and have? No, I disagree. I think... Um Looking at them, it creates a great story and a great education. But if that's all we're looking at, I think there's a lot out there for us to pay attention to. So it's kind of balancing both those who've been in the bottom and worked their way up and then those that have come in this and found success from the beginning. I think it's a happy balance. You said it right there. A balance, you know, some of those that have not experienced should listen to the stories of those that have experienced overcome it. It's going to happen part of the business. Now, moving on to the next question where I mentioned before the interview about family. And I thought this was really great uh, that he brought this up and we talked about it. Uh, There was one question here that included not only uh, the trader yourself, but your children. You know, I think that had to be the first question here on Limit Up that actually was sound advice to teach your young ones the value of money. And I really liked uh, how he does it with his kids. Absolutely. You know, it brings me back to growing up myself. He mentions it in here. And then on his website, he even says, you know, he talks about the vacations he takes with his family, 120 days of vacation time. There was a joke that used to go around the 30-year option pit um, with my dad and how much vacation time he took. There was always a joke and a bet on how many days he was going to take off every year for vacationing. That vacation was taking all four of us kids and my mom on vacation all the time. His thing was, if I'm going to be working, I want to share that with the family. That was the sole focus. And it seems like that's Daniel's focus here too, sharing it with others and sharing it with his family. Because what are we doing this for if, if that's not what we're doing this for? Bravo. I like your answer on that. And definitely uh, Daniel's approach teaching the children all about it. Now, Danny, uh, I had a great time interviewing Daniel Amaduri, and I really hope to have him back again. There was just so much more that I think that we could have talked about, and I hope we get him back for another interview. Well, if you do, let me know. I'd love to be one of the first to listen to it. Awesome. Uh, Danny, so happy you could join us. I appreciate your time. And hey, if you talk to any traders, pass it on. Let them know about Daniel Amaduri. Absolutely. Thanks for having me as always, Eddie. All right, traders. Thanks for spending time with us. And if you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. It helps us reach new traders. We'll see you next time. Once again, thank you, Danny. Thanks, Eddie. I'm Eddie Horn. Take care. Editing and post-production of this episode was done by Dante32.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.